Hallelujah, hallelujah. God is good, amen? amen. Woo, I was excited to come here this morning. I said, oh, oh, God is going to do something today. Who came expecting? I know I did. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Woo, so good morning, saints. Good morning, saints, and welcome to the house of God. And today's topic is about faith. You know, as I was reading, I said, I asked Mary, I was hearing Mary talking about faith in her classroom. And as I was talking this morning with Eric, Brother Eric says, ooh, Sister Vita, I'm so afraid to pray up there. And I looked at him, I said, I was going to say, said, Brother, I'm so afraid to be up here preaching so bad. You know, I said, there, when we started talking and I said, okay, God is in control. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. So my topic, it's called, well, my title for my preaching today is called Desperate Faith. That faith that when you pray, move mountains, right? That's the kind of faith I'm going to be talking about. And it's in the book of Mark. Mark chapter 5, 21 to 34. I am going to read the complete um, chapter. Well, not the complete chapter, but and then I'll go into details. Amen? Hallelujah, hallelujah. My title again is Desperate Faith. Mark 5, 21 to 24. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be well and live. And he went to him, and he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who has suffered much under many physicians and has spent all she had and was no longer better but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garment, I will be made well. Amen? And immediately... The flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed from her disease. And Jesus, perceiving, him, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? Who touched me? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? Who touched me? And he looked around to see who, has, who had done it. But the woman, knowing what she had done, what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Hallelujah. While he was still speaking, there came the, ruler house, the ruler's house from who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler in the synagogue, and Jesus said, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And then he entered and he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? 
this child is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in the where the child was. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping again. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, rise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was only 12 years old of age, right? For she was only 12. And back then, I got to tell you, that's considered marriageable. <clears throat> and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly changed, charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Woo. The faith that I'm talking about is the faith that moved mountains. If you have faith like a mustard seed, mountains will be what? Moved. The kind of faith that brings you to your knees in desperation. The kind of faith that makes you do things out of desperation. When you are going through serious circumstances. Hallelujah, hallelujah. This is the kind of faith that I'm talking about. The kind of faith that moves. The kind of faith that humbles you. Hallelujah. I need you to stand up for a second. And I need, we're going to pray before I even go into the message. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, we worship you. We praise you, Lord. Lord, we are desperate to receive from you this morning. We need you this morning, Lord. We know that you can heal. We know that you can hear us. And some people in morning, this morning came in with reservations of what could you do for me? Many this morning are going through a storm. Many this morning we can't even speak. Many this morning are struggling with their faith. Heavenly Father, help us to trust and believe with you. And everything that you do and say. We stand in your promises, oh God. For you are the Father, you are the way maker, you are the miracle worker, you are the healer. You are the restorer of life. You are the counselor. You are the Abba Father. Amen and amen and amen. Hallelujah. You could be seated. Lord have mercy. Mm. I always say I'm never going to cry, but that's impossible. Because when you feel the spirit of God move, I don't know about you, but I shake in my boots. I shake from head to toe. I feel the spirit of the Lord. Oh, Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. You see, Mark 5, it talks about when someone is sick, right? It interrupts our lives. And I'm not talking about a common cold or a headache. I'm not talking about something that you could just take a pill for. I'm talking about the God-wrenching ones when you get that serious bad news, right? I'm talking about an illness. They came into your life without being invited. 
It interrupts our plans. It diminishes our hope for the future. And it comes like a thief in the night, making us feel defenseless physically, emotionally, and spiritually helpless. And you have no control over it. Such is the case of the Pharisee who came running to the feet of Jesus and the woman with the flow of blood. This, this takes place, and I, I, you know, you got to understand when this is taking place. It takes place in narrow streets, and Jesus just came from doing miracles after miracles and rebuking evil demonic spirits, and here he is in a boat, and all his people are waiting because they heard who was coming, right? This crowd was not here to shop in the village. Nah, it was so packed. They were coming from all different kind of locations. And because they heard that Jesus was coming, many people knew about Jesus. They knew of his reputation and the miracles that he has done. They knew that he healed and restored. They knew that he had the authority over demonic spirits. They knew that he controlled the seas and the storms. I could just hear them now. This is Jesus of Nazareth, the one who's coming. We got to have front row seats for this one, right? That's right. I would. I would run through that crowd like crazy. Amen? I could imagine just what the crowd was saying and all the people that came to seek him because they were sick, stressed, full of anxiety, you name it. And it, I could make a list, right? And others because of just curiosity. But they were ready to receive, curious or not, they were ready to receive. They were ready to say, I, I, I know a reputation about this man. And I know even if I don't believe something is going to happen. Amen? See, because God has a purpose every time he shows up. Amen? <clears throat> Jesus was at the edge of the city <clears throat> when a man named Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue, a respected man, a devout man. You know, he was in a leadership position. In the synagogue, he was the one who ordered the service and how the services would run, okay? So being in that position was very, very respectful in society, okay? And he knew the word. He lived in the synagogue, kind of, right? <clears throat> he was aware of the hatred towards Jesus because he was the leader of the synagogue. But he had no problem coming in public, he came running to Jesus. He fell at his feet and he implored him earnestly. The word says earnestly saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be well and live. He was desperate. How many of you have been desperate in life when life throws you a curveball, right? Many people say, oh, if it throws you lemon, make lemonade. But lemonade, you know, is sour, right? He says, come lay your hands on her so that she may be well and live. He was desperate, and Jesus followed him. Jesus was on a mission to go and restore and heal his daughter. And Jesus followed him. But then we have a twist. The crowd, the crowd began to follow them to see him perform this miracle. We see that his mission was interrupted by a very sick lady. A woman who was bleeding for 12 years. She probably looked anemic, tired, right? Has anybody been through 
some sickness, you know what's that, what you look like, right? I don't have to explain that. Okay? And sometimes I just got to say, thank you, Lord, for makeup. Okay? It covers all our dark circles and, and you know, and all that good stuff. It makes us rejuvenate. <laughs> Amen? But even though inside we're still hurting and dying, right? Her face was disfigured with lines of agony. Her body was agonized with pain. And she broke and left with no hope. She was broke with no hope for a cure, but became worse as time went by. The Bible does not mention this lady's name, only this woman with the flow of blood. For 12 years, she is suffering. That's a long time to suffer, okay? She wanted to be healed. So in her desperation, she does something desperate. How many of you have done something desperate when you need something? Come on. Okay? When you're in desperate mode and you got to do what you got to do to get there. Or you got to do something to feed my kids. You got to go into whatever it is, the situation that you're going through in desperate mode. Okay? We do some crazy things sometimes, folks. Okay? And sometimes in the chaos of all this desperation, we use things and the outcome is not good, right? But sometimes in good desperation, when we seek the one we need to seek, you will see results. Amen? When someone is sick, it amplifies the sense of loss experienced by the person who is ill. And one of the most common feelings of lost are, number one, loss of control. When suddenly the body does what it wants and behaves any way it wants. It's like driving a car in an icy road, right? And you hit that, that black ice and it goes all over the place and you have no control and you put the brakes and you hold on for dear life and close your eyes because you're ready for that crash. That's the kind of thing that I'm talking about, right? You have no control over that situation whatsoever. You feel helpless. The woman with the blood of, was rejected and discarded because of her ailments. Her body was out of control. I ask you this. Have you ever been rejected, felt discarded, not wanted? She couldn't socialize. She couldn't have contact with any other human. She wasn't allowed to worship with the other women. She was seen as a plague. She was alone. So I want you to put yourself in her shoes for a minute. And, and let me bring you back to so this happened thousands of years ago, right? But not too far ago, we were probably like in the same situation. When we were on lockdown, we were on quarantine, and many people were sick, and many people were dying, and they were dying alone in the hospitals, and we couldn't see them, and they were suffering, and they felt rejected, and nobody could see anybody. Our loved ones were alone in the house, and we couldn't go see them only through FaceTime. So we know what it is to be, right? <clears throat> we were on quarantine not able to attend the house of worship or see our loved ones, we felt helpless. And everybody knows, you know, we, we try to do everything in this church as well. We're wearing masks. We, we're sitting, you know, 
six feet apart and all kinds of things. I remember Mary at the school going crazy, our kids going on Zoom, uh, you know, our, our, our churches going on, on Zoom as well. And we're just hungry. We're just thirsty. We just want to praise God, right? And sometimes those desperate things, desperate measures, we do the impossible, right? Because we allow God to do the impossible. Number two is loss of identity. Sick people become defined by their illness. The woman with the flow of blood doesn't have a name. She is known by her illness. When we speak to certain people and say, oh, she has cancer, he has AIDS, or, or he's schizophrenic, sick people lose their identity in the illness of sickness. They are the person with the sickness, the lame, the blind, the beggar. But yet God gave them an identity. Three, loss of certainty. With the chronic illness, everybody becomes contingent upon the condition. Vacations are contingent upon the body. A sick person can go to work if the sickness allows us to, right? If I wake up sick and I feel like I could go, I go. But when you're really sick, nah, you can't go. Number four, loss of place in society. Sickness often puts a strain on marriages, relationships, jobs, families. Can I go on? Right? They feel alone. They feel withdrawn, rejected, and misunderstood. Uh, and that happens a lot, right? When a partner or in a marriage, a husband or a spouse gets sick. It takes a toll on your marriage, right? It takes a toll on your family. It takes a toll on your kids. It does. Number four. Number five. Loss of resources. The woman with the flow of blood has spent all her money. She was financially broke. Emotionally. Spent. And physically weak. She could... Not do nothing about it. How many of us been there? When all else fails, there's nothing else we can do, right? We start thinking. We start getting anxiety. We get stressed out. I don't know what else to do, Lord. And then takes us to number six, which is loss of hope. The woman with the flow of blood has spent all her money. She was financially broke, spent everything. And the woman spent all her time and energy trying to find a cure. She was beyond human help and hope. She was at the end of a rope. Her last resort was to go to Jesus for help. <laughs> she was desperate enough to try anything. You know, this is the kind of faith that takes a turn here now. Here's this woman who tried everything in her life and spent every single money, anything that she had now, and here I am, Lord. I know Jesus is coming, and I know of him, right? Jesus had a good reputation, by the way. So I'm going to go seek him. I'm going to run. Never mind walk. I'm going to run. Run to him. She had nothing else to lose. How many of us have nothing else to lose when we can't go anywhere else, right? So it is at that moment when we find Jesus. It's that place of solitude. It is in that place when the Spirit of God will speak to you. Desperation can cause you to do some crazy things. It will cause you to create options that doesn't exist. She heard about Jesus. She heard about this man that heals. 
It was an inactivated faith. It was in a holy desperation. It was an intense longing for the loving God. So I know if I touch him, he's going to heal me. We need to have that holy desperation when we come before his mighty throne. I will get the healing and you have to believe it. Okay? I will cry out to God from the deepest part of my inner being. And I have faith that he will heal me. Okay? Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the convictions of things not what? Seen. Come on, guys. I'm preaching for somebody I know. Amen. Because I'm preaching to myself this morning too. Faith is trusting God and knowing who God is. Who is going to give it from the person you cannot see? Don't wait for the breakthrough, but put your faith on the breaker. Amen? Put your trust on God. He is your anchor to the ground and believe that in action. It's like me. Everybody sat on a, on a couch today. Okay? You're in your pews. Okay? I believe that if I sit on this pew, it's going to sustain me. It's going to hold me. You see, the problem is that I can believe all I want, but until I sit on it, then that's when my faith becomes what? Action. Amen? So you can believe all you want, but until you put it to practice, it's no good. It's worthless. I can come up here and pray every day, but until I believe it and put it into practice, okay, you're not going to see action. Come on. I know I'm talking to somebody. Amen. We need a take, a leap of faith. Step out regardless of the risk, just like this woman. This woman was unclean. She had no business going to him, but she heard and she responded to that. You see, our problem is not hearing the word, but the lack of doing it. We have nothing to lose, but to, so much to gain. Amen. Someone with desperate faith is someone who holds on to Jesus. She touched them. Someone to cling on. Who touched me? And when you hold on to Jesus, you better hold on and grab his attention. Amen? See, the woman knew what would happen when she reached out. She pushed to the crowd. She reached and she took a risk touching him. When she touched Jesus, oh man, she was made whole. She was made whole. Okay? But, you know, I got a picture up there. And I want you to look at what she's touching. Anybody could tell me. I asked a couple of people in this church, what was Jesus? What is the meaning of this that she was touching? You know? Um, and she was touching. This is what you look at of the picture up there is a prayer shawl. And as I was doing the sermon, I said, oh, my goodness, I'm going to go get one. So I went into Amazon. I didn't have to go to Israel and get one. Right? <laughs> so I went to, I went, I said, I went to Israel. Yes, I did. In my prayer closet, I went to Israel. And I want you to understand what this represents. A rabbi, a teacher of the word, will walk around with this around his shoulders, and he would wear it like this, right? And I'm just going to read it for you. It says, a prayer shawl, also called a tallit, is a special garment word worn by Jewish men. 
The garment signifies the nobility that comes from being God's chosen people. The tallit is a sign of obedience of God's laws. Jewish women are not required to wear them, but some do during the prayer time. Jewish children are often given the tallit on the bar mitzvah, you know, when they get older, 13, right? And the girls too. The prayer shawls go by the name, but the name, it has a lot of names, but the name that's accepted is the tallit. Historically, the prayer shawl or the tallit was worn by Jewish men. After Moses led the Hebrew people from the land of Egypt and God spoke his commands, men began to practice of wearing a prayer shawl. These shawls were not only worn at times of prayer, but they were also worn throughout the day. Men would place them around their necks or, or under outer garments. There is another one that, um, that, you, can, that you can actually... You will wear this, you see, because the garment is considered sacred, right? So nothing can touch this, right? It is believed that the prayer shawl was designed similar to the other garments to protect them from the skin in the desert. That would explain the white shawl with the black stripes or the ones with the blue or even purple because, as you know, the color purple means what? Royalty, right? The design included tassels, placed on the four corners of the garment, and each tassel had um, eight threads and five knots on each corner. Eight on four corners, okay? And you have the knots, and these are double knots. Traditionally, with the white-blue thread running through the tassel, when the Jews were dispersed, blue thread was difficult to obtain, therefore it was accepted to use any other color. But typically you'll see this in in, uh, in blue or the purple color. Prayer shawls are not specifically mentioned in the Bible, but the garments derived from the scriptures in reference to the Torah in, in the book of Numbers 15, 38 to 41. The Lord is speaking to Moses and says, throughout the generations to come, you are to make tassels on the corners of your garment with a blue cord on each tassel. In Deuteronomy 22, says also says to make tassels on the four corners of the cloak to wear. And the purpose of the tassel was just to keep the people reminded of God's commandments. If we look at when you add up, let me stay on the mic. When you add up all the knots, it adds up to all the um, commandments from the book of Leviticus. Okay? So the woman knew about this. So that means, you know, this represents a lot. That means that you walked in holiness. It means that you walk as a reminder that God is with you. That means that you walk in holiness and follow his commandments so that when you see this, you're not going to sin. Get it? It was just symbolic. It was just symbolic. But I want you to understand what this woman went through. Jesus, Jesus is walking. He has it. And she reached through the crowd and the crowd was all over it. Just imagine, Right? How all the people were pushing and hustling and, and, and just, just, and the disciples just walking with Jesus, trying to cover Jesus here, you know? And the woman just cut us under it. All she needed to do, guys, was to touch this. This. Could you imagine? This little tassel, this little string here. Could you imagine this little thing? And it was floating, by the way. And yet Jesus said, 
Who what? Who touched me. And the power of the Spirit flowed out of him. You see, so this garment meant a significant thing for all uh, the Jewish people. Okay? Amen. So who touched me? Jesus felt the healing power had gone from him. No one noticed her. No one but Jesus. She came forward on her own and, present, and presented herself to him. She did not wait to be found. He calls her daughter. And in an instant, her body regains control. She is granted a new identity. She, ha she now has a future. Amen? She regains her place in society. She is restored to wholeness. And immediately, boom. I say immediately. Okay? Not a minute later, not next week, not last, no. Immediately. Amen? Saints, we need to touch him. We need to touch him. Okay? Most of us hang around with Jesus just like the people in the crowd. We know of Jesus, but we don't serve him. We seek him, but he does not find us. He comes very, we come very close to him, seek him. We cry on worship and believe in him. And we need to trust him. You just need to grab. And when you grab, you need to hold on and don't let go. Amen? Now, this is all symbolic. And this is all great. And they still use this today. However, when Jesus... Right? And this is just, I just want you to understand one thing, that Jesus were this over him, him. Did he have to do that? Absolutely not. Okay? But this is just a reminder of what was to come. Okay? And, and let me tell you something that, that really attracted me to this shawl. When the people at the temple, and this was also, um, told to put on because during that time the temples the synagogues would get so full they had no space for the men to go in and the women on the other side they, they ran out of space right so what did they do lord said okay let's uh, let's do this we'll put in the shawl okay and it became a representation that when you go to the house of the lord and this is why they covered their heads Okay, as knowing that you are beneath God and he is hovering over you and you will put this over your head and this will cover your face and you will kneel down. There was no distraction, nothing stopping you for coming before the presence of the Lord. You understand this, right? You can hardly see my face, right? So here I am. If I do this, I don't have to worry about who's wearing, who's saying what? Amen. Okay. Who's not doing what? Uh, so you see, I say, Lord, I'm going to order a hundred of these and put it in my church. I'm just going to have everybody. <laughs> I say, Lord, and, and, and guess what? This is coming with me to the prayer closet. This is, this is a good thing. And I know this is only symbolic, but it, but it helps you to meditate on his word. It helps you to stay connected with God. It helps you, right, to stay in God's circle. Amen? Amen? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Wow. God is good. Woo. And all the time? <laughs> Amen. But it doesn't stay there, right? I don't want you to forget about Jairus, right? 
after I talked about Jairus, the guy in the synagogue, and his daughter is ill. Um, and I just want you to, 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 to just look at Jairus in that desperate moment. He's walking with Jesus, and all of a sudden, all the crowd, and this woman comes and interrupts his plans. And Jesus takes his time, and he says, who touched me? He comes to her, and, and she just pours out, and she just cries. She tells him everything. She took the risk of even touching him because she knows she could have been stoned to death right there, right? But she took the risk. She took the leap of faith. And guess what happened? She got healed, right? And here, I could just... Just see Jairus. Guys, I know some of you guys have no time or no patience, right, when we're on the road, right? Get out of my way. Get out of my way. <laughs> you know, and we're doing all kinds of things. But this desperation that I'm talking about is his little girl that's 12 years old, right? His little girl that he raised, his little girl that he took the time to leave his home and go down the road, through the crooked road, through the crowds to find Jesus because he knew what he's capable of. Amen? Wow. Wow. But something happens. Something happens. Then while, while Jesus was still talking to all of this, his plans, his plans changed. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus in the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Could you imagine that I'm in the crowd and Jesus is, is, is dealing with this? I'm in a crowd and you know, man, when you're in a hospital and somebody walks through those doors with that crazy looking face like, don't look in your eye, right? Because they're going to tell you something that's not good and you feel it in your bones, right? You feel it. Something is not right, Lord. He doesn't sometimes, we don't even have to speak. I just stop bawling crying because I know what's coming. Many of us have been through there. Many of us are still going through it. So many of us have been like Jairus. We exhaust, exhaust all of our worries, all our concerns. Luke tells us, because it kind of repeats the same thing, that it was his only daughter. Do you get the idea that she is the apple of his eyes, right? You know, I didn't really understand this. I knew when my brothers were sick. Boy, was I angry at God. I knew what it is to lose brother. I lost three, okay? So I knew what it is to battle during the hard times. I know what it is. And then, but I had a brother who was, loved the Lord and happened so many years ago, but still sometimes it feels like it happened yesterday, right? And then I couldn't fathom the thought of losing my brothers. And you know when it started hitting me again? When my son joined the Marines, I said Wait a minute, wait a minute. We often talk about Jesus dying on the cross for us, and we take it very lightly. But when my son left, and many of us have military children in all branches, Mary, Olafunke, all of us, a lot of us, many of you guys serve as well. I said, he signed up 
to die for people. You understand what that takes? That flag meant something different to me now. That flag meant that my son is out there. And God knows if he's going to come back. He's dying for the people of America. People who don't care. <laughs> people who... And with somebody else, I was like, not my son, until he left. And I'm pretty sure you guys can feel the same way. And as a teacher, every morning, we had to go and salute that flag in the Christian school. We have to go and salute that flag. And every time my students were sitting down, they're like, you know, sitting down. It's like, and I said, boy, you better get up. You better salute that flag. You see, it took a different meaning. I said, you better salute it. My son is in the military, dying for you. You better get up. And then I will throw a twist in there, and you better know who saved you. You know? I got wicked when they didn't get up. That's why when I see these sports people, don't get up for the flag. I'm like, ooh, Lord. Okay? That's why that flag took a different meaning in my life. Okay, thank God he's back. But, and I know a lot of our people are still, you know. And Mary, I pray for you too because I know how hard it is. And you got several in the, you know, in the military. Wow, Lord. And yes, in desperate times, it takes a different meaning, doesn't it? Okay. So Jairus can see that one of his close friends is pushing near. He sees it. But you see, Jesus was close enough to hear. That's the good part. He was close to hear. And the words of the daughter's death on Jairus' heart is broken, and he begins to weep. But the man's words, are, the man's words that gave the message, ah, don't bother the teacher anymore. In the Greek word, it means weary, don't harass him, don't bother him, don't trouble him. Could you imagine somebody telling me that in the time of need when I got Jesus right there? Okay? Nah. And the strange expression at, this, at a time like this, when a man who's bearing the bad news knows that the man who's standing in front of him does miracles. How can we conceive that our prayers or our requests for favor or intervention for healing bothers God. Some of us think that God doesn't hear me, doesn't, doesn't care, he's too busy, right? That somehow he was better or he has better things to do. He can't hear my prayers, no. Does God view our prayers as a nuisance on his time? No. Does he view his cries from the people? Before his throne, grace is a distraction from the more important things he has to do? No, he doesn't. So let us approach, Hebrews 4.16 says, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Amen? So when we approach this altar it's like at the time of Moses in the burning bush. 
Boy, take up those sandals because the ground you're standing on is holy ground. Because you know that the purpose that you're going to be standing there is because God is going to do something wonderful in your life. He has a purpose, right? He has a plan for you. But you have to take that leap of faith. Take your little sandals off and step it up and hear what he has to say for you. Amen? Amen. Now, hearing this, Jesus said to him, don't be afraid. Just believe and she will be healed. Jairus is standing near Jesus when the news came, and this is men's things, and Jesus just telling, just believe, just believe. I can't imagine the scene, okay? In the book of John, he describes Jesus like this. I can, uh, uh, he says, um, Jesus feels Jairus' pain, and he deeply feels, okay, what he was going through. And he felt his own at the death of Lazarus. Remember when Lazarus died, he cried too, and wept salty tears, at his loss. So there comes a time when our faith comes buckling down too, right? That even when we think we're strong, we're not. We hope against again and again and again, and the hope dashes away. We are tempted to give up and to walk away from Jesus, but Jesus doesn't let us go. He says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. He says gently. I love Jesus. Jesus is so cool. Even when Apoko was preaching about the boat and the storm, Jesus was like sleeping in the boat, okay? With the woman of the blood of flow who touched me. And now with the girl, right? So easy, so calm. But Jesus doesn't just let it go that easily. He says, don't be afraid, he says gently. He knows our fears and our limits. But if he goes with us, he can carry us beyond our fears. Just believe, he says, and she will be healed. Jesus refuses to leave Jairus alone with his grief, but goes with him. If you will, Jairus comes to Jesus on the basis of his own worries, a hoping faith. But then that fails, and Jesus carries him on his own faith. Amen? I think when you're down, you think, I can't do it anymore. This is when God extends his hands and picks you up. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in the, with him except for Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. Just stop wailing, Jesus said. She is not dead but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. Could you imagine going to the scene? You know, back then, when someone died, all the neighbors would come out, right, and start crying and crying and crying and wailing. Ah! But it was kind of like a fake thing, right? And then even, even I, I, and I, you know, as you read, you read that they even pay people to come and cry, you know? I know what you're thinking. There are some people that you're going to pay them, just, just go cry over there for me, please. Okay? Some people that you don't like, don't want to see, mm. <laughs> I'll pay you to cry for me, please. <laughs> that's awful, guys. That's awful. Okay? But that's what happens. Our, our, our faith buckles underneath us. Um, so Jesus refused to leave Jairus alone in the grief, and he goes with him, and he carries him through. And he sees these women crying, and he tells them, she is not dead, but asleep. They laugh at him, knowing that she was, not, that she was dead. Jesus told them to clean house, get everybody out of here, except for his disciples and the girl's parents. But I think it is mostly to get rid of the distraction 
and the welling and everything, all the chaos that was happening outside, right? Because again, in different places, when Jesus in Matthew 13, 58 says, Mark goes even further and says, he could not do any miracles there except lay hands on a few sick people and heal them because the people were too much, right? Um, and the girl's stillness, and, and let me tell you how we see death, right? They saw her there, there still. Now she's done. We've got to bury her. But by the end of the night, we have to bury them. That's the way it was. But from Jesus' eyes, he sees her sleeping. Okay? That is God's point of view for us. It's a temporary sleeping. It's just a temporary condition in which she will soon awake. Okay? Now our faith must be trained too. That's what Peter, James, and John were doing in the room. They were in training. Training to have faith be, be, besides beyond the obvious, right? Faith, faith to hear the voice of the Father state that his will is in the situation, that he is in control. Faith to speak the word of faith that brings God's will into reality. Jesus desires our faith to execute on earth that will, the will of the Father. Amen? In the verse... And in the verses, we see that, the laughter and the mockery and the unbelief. Fortunately, Jairus and his wife cling to Jesus' words in faith rather than the mockers' words of scorn. But he took her by the hand and said, my child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at that once, she stood up. Amen? Can you picture this? Can you picture the chaos, the unbelief of the house? Uh, the household had, has been closed out. Jesus kneels by the girl's bed. He takes her hand and he speaks the gentle sound, child, arise. Hallelujah. In the Greek is Talitha Kumi, which is little girl, I say to you, rise. In Luke's account, Jesus calls her child or little girl. The word isn't specific about the age, but Jesus addresses her directly as a child. His second word is get up, to wake up, to stir oneself, to rise up, okay, from the dead. Mm. And while they were intently watching, Luke records her spirit returned, and at that once, immediately she stood up. She didn't lie there waiting for uh, enough energy to gradually raise her from the dead. Mm -mm. No. And the Greek word, at once, immediately, again, like the woman of the blood, immediately. This was an instant resurrection. Then Jesus told them to go get her something to eat. See, I love Jesus' calmness. Because in the midst of all of this, this happening, the incredible miracle, he reminds the parent that she is hungry and needs some food. Physical food, right? Perhaps she was without food throughout all her illness. But Luke probably records it as two reasons. Number one, to indicate that she is well. And the evidence by the fact that her hunger is restored, that means, oh, she's healed. You know, when somebody is coming out, you see them, you want to feed them, they start eating. You're like, thank you, Lord, she's eating. Okay, Lord. Okay? Not, and, and, and this is true. And that she is not a spirit that would not require food. She was tangible. She was alive. She woke up. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. If you have faith like a, like a mustard seed, mountains could be what? And I'm here to tell you in this morning that some of us have giant mountains, small mountains. You see, it doesn't matter what problems you have. God is your creator. He knows everything about you. 
even before you speak it, even before you even thought about it. So there's nothing you can hide from God that he doesn't already know. Amen? And how many of us walk in fear of the unknown? Of what is going to happen because of the past experiences? How many of us has lost hope after hope after hope? So this morning, this altar is going to be open for you. If you are in need of prayer at this time, I want you to run like the woman of blood. Be like the woman of the, of the blood who took the risk. Be like Jairus' worship team. Be like Jairus who didn't listen to the mockers and the chaos. They focus on who? Jesus. You know, you got to run to the cross, to the foot of the cross and believe. And I want you to pray like it's the last day of your life. And don't allow the enemy to take your blessing. Amen?